0: tell you. So we went to, uh, the denomination asked if Heritage would allow us to go to First West in Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, It's a church that a couple of years ago was running about 2300 um, and they had a church split the last two years and um, it's been a nightmare. If you could just kind of put it in, in terms, if you have been going here for 10, 20, 30 five, you know, whatever many years that you've been going here, and if two-thirds of your people left, if you came into Heartstrings and you had a third of us here, uh, that's what happened at First West. It was, it was, um, it was really, really um, a nightmare. And so uh, they asked us if we would come and do an interim position there where for a number of months we could come and just see if we could bring some healing and some health and some hope to this church that had none of that. And so um, the grac- heritage graciously said yes to that, and we went not having any idea you know, what... We just felt like the call of God was, was really on our lives, and so we went, and we stepped into a situation where the first month we just sat with people and just wept with them as they talked about, you know, their best friends for 20 and 30 years were gone, and, and they'd walk into church that used to, it's a building, it's a fabulous, amazing building that, used, that seats uh, 18, 1900, they'd been in three services, and now they were down to... Uh, 500 people, and so it's just been heartbreaking beyond words, but I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is faithful, and he is um, renewing the life there at First West, and we it's so exciting, we can hardly stand it. Last week, we just um, topped 800 for the first time, and so that was really exciting. It's kind of like a a mile marker saying, you know, life is coming back, and excitement is coming back, and and, um, and, uh, we're meeting our... The church had almost had to close financially because you can't pay your bills when you have 500 people. When you were having a building on 23, 2400, and so we're meeting our budget now. And so it's just so exciting. We have fallen in love with the people, and they have fallen in love with us. And so uh, we are just thankful beyond words. Let me see what else I was going to tell you about it. Um, this Friday night, yeah, thank the Lord. It's just so amazing. This Friday night, we're going to have a girls' night out. It's the first women's event they've had in almost five years. And so they are hyper. They are just hyper. And so they were hoping to have 50 or 60 women. We have 235 people coming. And so it's like, so if you think about Friday night, you afraid uh It's just going to be a, a... Some of the people who have left are coming back to it. And it's going to be some interesting dynamics with people. And so um, we could really, I'd really appreciate your prayers for Friday night if you think about that. Um, We just are going through a month of concentrated prayer effort and doing prayer walks around the church and just really feel like God's going to do some amazing things in this next month. So they're in the middle of now looking for a senior pastor, and we're interviewing a guy this month in November and hoping to make that decision that he would um, be able to start in the late winter. So um, that's going to be exciting, too. It's a wonderful, wonderful man. Okay, let me see if there's anything right there that I wanted to tell you um, I think that's enough about that. So, when Mark said, you know, we're studying the book of Matthew, and would you like to teach? And I said yes, and then I'm, I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do? I don't have time to study Matthew. And so one night I couldn't sleep, and I just felt like the Lord kind of wrote this lesson on my heart. But like I said earlier, it is not, it is not, a, uh, it's not a deep theological study. It's not, a, uh, uh, it's not like I've studied. Usually I'll work 8 to 10 hours on one of these lessons. I didn't at all. This is basically what God's kind of doing out of me in my life right now and how it might apply to you. I don't know how far we'll come. I usually, like, time my lessons and everything. I haven't timed it. I haven't done anything. We may get through the first point, so I don't really care because my point is my favorite one. I just love it so much. So um, I just can't wait to see how God's going to just speak to us this morning because that's what he wants to do, isn't it? So let's bow our heads and pray together. Would you take a minute and pray for me? Because like I said, I'm a little extra hyper and I'm not sure I'm thinking well. So uh, you pray for me around, maybe one person around the table. Pray for me as a teacher and pray for us as we uh, open God's word together. Okay, let's just get you you talking. (laughs) I'll give you lots of time in a minute. Um, because I'm not used to this again, and I forgot to turn this recorder on, I'm going to start as if we're just now starting, okay? So we're looking at Matthew 22, verse 37, where Jesus says the greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. To me, if that's implying there's almost another command in there. You've got to love yourself, too. <laughs> all the prophets... All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So what we are going to do this morning is take that verse and I want to share with you three lessons that I'm learning on how to live out this command of love God and love people. Okay? I just love this first one. It's something I'm thinking about all the time and it's called the ripple effect. Can you guys see this from a distance? Can you see it? Okay. The ripple effect. you know if you drop a stone into uh, water and you you have that ripple effect that just kind of keeps going, going, going? Well, I want to talk about that for a little bit this morning. Well, for a little bit longer this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 4.19. Matthew 4.19. Starting in verse 18. I have probably read this verse... Hundreds and hundreds of times over my lifetime. This last week I was reading it again and something just leaped out at me that I want to share with you and then in a little bit give you a personal illustration about this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake wide. For they were fishermen. Makes sense. That's what they did. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I have read that, like I said, hundreds of times. But this last week, a word leaked out at me as I read it. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I began to realize again that God's desire, if we do our part, which is what there? So men, it's like, us picturing it like if, uh, if you or your husband went to do an apprenticeship somewhere at uh, the pipe fitters thing over here. And they would say to you or your husband, um, you follow us for these three years and we will make you a pipe fitter. Well, that guy wouldn't go, oh, I don't know if this is going to happen. I'm not sure. No, he enters the program saying, I'm going to work for them for three years. And they're going to make me an apprentice. or They're going to make me a pipe fitter. It It just happens because they would walk so closely to that person for those three years. They would be so much immersed in the program, in the apprenticeship, that after three years they'd be a pipe fitter. And Jesus says, guys, you join me. You follow me. I'll make you a fisher of people. I went, oh my goodness, Lord, why are there more fishers than men? Because you promised that you're going to do your part. And I kept thinking, why aren't there more people who are just so committed to making a difference for God, to reeling people in, to bringing people to relationship with Jesus? I'll come back to that in just a second. Look at Matthew five fourteen. Matthew five fourteen. I've read this verse hundreds of times. I read it again this week and went, oh my goodness. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why? Because it's it's lighting the area. Neither do people, it would be stupid, he says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your lights shine before men, and they may that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. And he says, You're the light of the world. Don't hide that light. And if you do hide it, he says, it's stupid. I mean, he's applying. That's my, my translation. He says, that wouldn't happen. You would never go. Like, um, I live, our house, the little, little tiny house that we live in is Darling. They've renovated it for us, and it's just Darling. We live on the church property. It's the first time in 20 or 30 years I've lived on the church property. It's just great. So, at nighttime, when I, especially with the time change now, I'll leave the church, and it'll be dark. After walking, you know, like... One minute from the church property on to, to my house. And so I take my cell phone and I turn my flashlight on. Now when I turn that flashlight on to go from the church to my house, I don't go, here's my, ooh, i got to hide this light. That would be stupid, wouldn't it? And Jesus says, you're that flashlight. Don't take that flashlight and do anything with it except let it shine. Don't hide it. So I'm going, okay, God. I understand that you care for people and that you're longing to reach people. I turn to 2 Peter 3:19, a verse that you know really well, but I want you to be able to find it. 2 Peter 3:9, uh, I think it is. 2 Peter 3:9. Peter's explaining why Jesus is taking so long to come back again because they thought it was, he was going to come right then. Let's pick it up in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is Jesus not coming back again? He's longing for more people to get saved. So I go, okay, God, you care for people. You're longing to reach people. You don't want anybody to perish. So, you want to use me, and Carol, Bonnie, every single one of us, to be the light to shine so greatly That somebody comes to know you, and I would say, John 15, that many people come to know him. Now, um, I want to tell you, you never know what difference you are going to make as you you let your light shine. Let me give you an illustration, and I'm going to tie all of this up together, okay? Like I told you, we're going to have a girls' night out, Friday night, and... I put together this team of women to to put Girls Night Out together, and one of them that I put on the team, her name is Anne. Sorry, her name is Jess. <laughs> I know them very well. <laughs> her name is Jess. Now Jess is darling to the max. I'm going to have her listen to this tape. She is cute, she is darling, she's this little tiny girl, I don't know, 30-some years old, and she's a nurse, and she is, I I just look at her and go, that is one of the cutest little things I've ever seen in my life. And she doesn't believe that. She's shy, she is a little uh, insecure, and just doesn't really think, she doesn't think she's pretty, she doesn't think she is um, capable, she just is a little um, insecure. And Jess is on our committee to put together Girls Night Out. Well, she and I were meeting one day, two weeks ago, and she said, uh, she told me a story. She said, Patty, John has been preaching, and he's been preaching about the fact, Now, I have to tell you, I don't remember him saying these things, but just did. John has been talking. It's not surprising that you heard this, but I don't remember any sermon that did this. She said he's been talking about the fact that we need to make the most of every opportunity, and that we need to be God's light in, in this world, and that we need to, to 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 just be used by God everywhere. And she said, "I just don't do that. I, that just sounds, you know, I just don't think I can do that kind of stuff." But I started thinking, maybe I can, maybe I should, maybe maybe God wants to use. Me. She said, so, they wanted to get some people in the community to give door prizes. And so she took some of our uh, cards, and she went to five or six different places. She said, that in itself is not me. She's just shy, and she wouldn't do that. She said, so I went to five or six different places, and I left, and you know asked me if they'd like to give a door prize for Girls' Night Out at First West. And she said, then I suddenly went, oh my goodness, John says that we should God's light, and we should make a difference, and I realized, I talked to five different women in five different places, I should have invited them to come to First West, to, to come to this event, so she came back, got five cards, went back to these places, shaking all over, going up to these people saying, um, you know, um, you're going to think that I'm really weird, but um, you know that thing I just asked you to give us a prize to, I just thought, I, I should have invited you to come. I would just love to. I'm not really weird, but I just kind of felt like I should do this. And she said, I would love to invite you to come. So she came a week later, and she, uh, I, we were sitting with a team of, of women. And I said, Jess, would you tell your story? What just happened to you? Because she went back to all those places. So she told her story. One of the other women on this uh, planning team is Ann. Anne is a uh, lady about my age. She's been to the church for the, like 40 years. And she's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lady. And she is just a committed Christ follower. And she said, uh, so, so she was listening, listening to that. So we met last Thursday to put up together everything. And she said, um, you know, Jess, when you said that story, she said, that I couldn't get away from that. And I started thinking, I, I should do that more. And so she said, I was getting ready to go to a place to uh, ask for door prizes. And so I took my card, and on the back I put my name, Ann Caner, and my phone number. And she said, I went in saying, okay, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use me here, but if you want to use me, I'm just going to let my light shine. Anyway, whatever you want me to do, I'm just here to do it. And so she said, um, she went in and she watched this lady standing at the counter, and this lady was sobbing. And this lady was uh, this lady behind the counter was listening to her. Came out around to the side and just hugged on her. And this lady was just distraught. So the lady starts going out the door, and Anne said she felt like the, the Holy Spirit said, "Go." went, I'm so weird. So she went over to this lady and she said, um, "I saw you crying at the counter, and I just want you to know, um, my heart was out to you." and and I would love to pray for you any way I can. And, and, um, I, and this lady just looks at her and starts sobbing. And the lady's name is Marcia. She says, my name's is Marsha. And Anne says, um, I'm, we're having this event at our church. And I'd love to invite you to come to it. And I don't know if it's anything you're interested in doing or not. But I'd love to invite you. And the lady says, my daughter's going through a divorce. I'm devastated. I'm broken. Maybe that's something that I like to do. So Anne invites Marcia to come. And Jess invites those five other store people to come. So we're sitting there, and another girl on the team, Devin, who's this beautiful little 30-some-year-old girl, she says, wow, I'm just listening to these stories, and I'm thinking, there are three girls at my work that I don't think they're Christians, and I don't think they're going to come, but I wonder if I should invite them. So she went to... To work the next day, invited these three others and came and signed them up. Then a couple days ago. So Jess invites five because and then Ann hears her story and she invites Marsha and Devin hears Ann's story and Jess's story and so she invites three others. And to me, it's that ripple effect. You never know how your story, how your life, how your light is going to shine on somebody. She just thinks she's shining a little bit on these guys. She doesn't know that she's going to actually even affect Friday night Devin's women. And if any of those women comes and knows Christ as Savior or becomes a real disciple, and there are one or two or three, Jess's story is having that ripple effect all the way out to reaching others. You never know when you let your light shine. You think it's just shining right here. And it's shining far greater than that. Which leads me to you. Who does Jesus want to use you to affect? You never know. I was at a... uh, Oh, I'm going to tell you that. Let me see where I'm at here. Um, Yeah. All right, okay. So I want you to answer around your table this. On a scale of one to five, how comfortable are you with doing what Jeff did? How comfortable are you if you're shy, explain how it might be tough for you. If you're um, an outgoing extrovert, but your life is so filled about you, <laughs> you know, and worried about what people think about you, it still might be hard for you. On a scale of one to five, how easy or difficult would it be for you to do what Jess did? Going back to all these stores and inviting them to come to something. Or you can put it in your own context. You know, maybe you're saying I'm at work with somebody, and how hard or easy is it for you to let your light shine? Pretty obviously. Just take a minute, but I want everybody to be able to answer this. So would you just make sure you go all, around the ta- all the way around the table, and then if everybody gets to answer you can go back and talk a little bit further. I'll give you three minutes on this one. Real, Real quickly, I want to give you another question on, on this. Let me give you a... keeps going off on it. There it um, is. Let me give you another question on this, okay? From this perspective, um, you are the light of the world. You are it. You're it. There's nothing else that's going to do it. I mean, you and the Holy Spirit are it. And if we follow closely to the rabbi, he's going to make us fishers of men. So I think, well, okay, why don't we have just tons of people constantly sharing Christ? Why don't we have people? All Christians, because we all, we're all followers of Christ. Why aren't we just all one? I'm just sharing with them all about them all the time. So I wrote down like a couple of things. I want you to see where, on your blank page, right there, where it says an example. Write these words down. Right underneath, you know, you never know what difference you're making. An example. I just gave you a little spot there, a little empty space. Okay, write these words. That was just for you to be able to write this if you wanted to remember, but if you didn't, write these words. So, why don't we have just every Christian who loves Jesus just sharing all the time? I wrote down, a lot of times we're scared, so write down scared, because I'm going to have you talk about these. Write down, we're embarrassed. My friend Jess was embarrassed to go back, and she said, I felt like an idiot. She didn't, but she felt less. At first she said, I can't do that, God. I just can't do it. She was embarrassed. Number two, we're forgetful. Sometimes, slash, neglectful. We just get so immersed in our own problems. In our own stuff. That we don't often go, today. As I walk into the store. As I walk into my home. As I walk into my work. As I walk into church. I am here to light. We just neglect it. I think sometimes, um, again, and then put another word, just caught up in our, maybe put uh, selfishness. Selfishness. And then put this word, sin. If you're living an active life of sin, you don't want to witness for Jesus because you know they're going to say, what? But there's something I don't understand here. Out of all, so, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, you're... you're you know what I mean. If you're really just, you're involved in something, if you go to a party with your friends and you're over drinking, and then you say you want to come to church with me tomorrow, you know that there's something incongruous there, and you don't tend to invite them. Okay, that's an example. Um, around your table, answer this question. Out of all of those, or another reason, what would be the main reason that, you would, that would keep you from being that fisher of people? What would be the big thing? Would it be that you tend to be too scared, too embarrassed, too forgetful, neglectful, caught up in your own stuff, selfishness, or uh, sin? What would you say around your table? Give an example of that. And go to the people who speak the least, and then try to get around the table in three minutes. Go. (laughs) This is so much fun. As you shared that around your table, how many of you said, probably my answer is I'm just a little scared. How many said scared? Ooh, lots of you said scared. Whoa. Let me see those again. How many say I'm scared? Whoa. That's fascinating. How many said I'm too embarrassed? You might have multiple answers. I'm I'm just embarrassed. Uh Uh-huh. How many said I just forget? I don't even think about it. Lots of you. How many said I'm just selfish? Yep. How many... I won't ask the other one. (laughs) How many of you need to come to the altar right now? <laughs> so I keep going back to this. If I follow, he's going to make me one. So there's something in me that's stopping the process. Because he's going to do his part. Um, remember, on your notes there, you never know who the Holy Spirit's working on. You never know. That's why you want to speak something. Because you never know, maybe maybe the Holy Spirit's really preparing that person. I'm convinced that Marsha, that God is working on her, and that if Anne hadn't said something to her about that, that would how much longer would it have taken for someone to come to Marsha to invite her to church or to invite her to something where she could have heard more? I'm convinced that there's somebody of those five people that just invited, there's somebody of those five who's right. I don't know how put it, who's just ready for that next step. And Jess was the conduit. She was fishing. She never knew who might be ready. That's why I gotta put the put the what's that called? The hook out there, the line out there. Thank you. Number two, on your under remember, you put out the feelers and you see if they're interested. You put out the feelers and you see if they're interested. Listen guys, some are not going to be interested. There's going to be nothing. That's okay. You don't know that. So you've got to speak. But you don't know that. And if they're not interested, not your fault. Not your responsibility. The third part right there. Your job is simply to be faithful. It's God's job to do the rest. <laughs> Let me give an example of it that I've just been going through. When I moved to Battle Creek, I decided... John, I decided that whenever we go out to eat, we're, we don't know unsafe people. We're new in the area. So we said, when we go out to eat, we're going to put out feelers everywhere we go. We're going to say, okay, God, we're going to be faithful. We have no idea if anybody's receptive or not. And so everywhere we go, we try and try and try to uh, say to the waitress, um, we're uh, new in Battle Creek. We're the new interim pastors at First West Church and and, uh, and see if they respond or not. And if they don't respond, then we know that there's nothing there. But if they respond... So, everywhere we go. So the first month we were there, everywhere we went. And we would go out a lot at first because you know, people were like, we're just getting no people and we're going out all the time. It was bad on the body, but it was fun. Um, and so, I... Uh, one night, we went out with the, our worship team leaders, and there was a, a, a waitress. Her name... Not, her name is Jane. <laughs> I know her well. And um, so we are sitting together, and man, I was just praying and praying and praying, because usually, just a little bit of opening, and the person just opens up right away, and, and I would just say little things, and, and it was like nothing, just nothing, nothing, nothing. And finally... Um, we have been there for two hours. And I went to the restroom came back. And they not had any opportunity to invite her or say anything to her. And so I said, okay, guys, we've got three more minutes. That's about it. You know, we're late. we paid the bill and everything. So she came back. And I said one more thing that just opened up the conversation to see if she was interested in hearing more about the church or anything. And there was absolutely nothing. I mean, nothing. We were as nice to her. We tipped her great. We just, And there was nothing. So, okay, I go, I never know who the Holy Spirit's working on. I don't know if it's Jane or not. I'm going to put out the feelers and see if there's any interest. If there's not. My job is simply to be faithful. It's God's job to do the rest. Evidently, at this point in life, Jane's just, she's just not there. Went to a restaurant a couple weeks later, and I do know her name. Her name is Abby. Sweet little Abby, and we're talking to Abby and just getting to know her a little bit. And finally, after conversations back and forth, it was a slow day for her, so we could talk extra, and after a while, um, we said, well, we're new to this area, Abby, so we're just getting to know people. She said, oh, oh, where, where are you from? We said, where we are from? We said, we're here. We're the new pastors at First West Church. She said, oh, I, I used to go there some. And that's kind of a rare thing that you're a lot there. And we said, oh, uh, did you, how long how has, has, has it been since you were there? And she said, oh, several years. She's like 23 years old. We'd already gotten to know about her job and her work, and I mean, her school and everything. You know, we just had a great conversation together. She sat down with us. Finally, um, we said, Oh, well, you know, we're we're there right now. And John's the, the pastor, he's preaching, doing the preaching. We would love it if you would come to church with us. She said, I would love to do that. I would love that. And I said, Oh man. I said, Abby, I will meet you. You come up and you can sit with me. And she said, That would be so much fun. She went and got some orders and came back and she said, I'm so excited I'm shaking. <laughs> now listen, I never know who the Holy Spirit's working on. I'm going to put out the feelers and see if they seem interested. My job is simply to be faithful, it's God's job to do the rest. I'm convinced that soon Abby is going to come to a place where I get to put out more feelers. Abby, are are you interested in really knowing Jesus? Those three things just help me so much. Because it takes, it puts responsibility on me to fish, but it takes responsibility off of me to catch the fish. That's Jesus' job. But I have to admit, sometimes I don't even fish real well. Because I get caught up in my life. And I'm just convinced that Jesus says, you're the light of real Patty, and you may be the only light that Abby's going to get today. So you better do your part. I just want to get better. I want you to get better. at just fishing. Now, I understand that I'm saying that to some people who are shy. You're more like my friend Jess. But if Jess can do it, see, it's not about you. It's not about how shy you are. It's not about if you think you're pretty or, or talented or rich. It's about the fact that you're a fisher of people. And so, and, and uh, I sat at one of the tables just a minute ago, and it's really, really, really true. Some people will come to Christ through a sanguine extrovert. Some people won't. Some people get, get. Uh, what's the word, Dad? They get overwhelmed by people like, like us. And they need a quieter, shyer, deeper, uh, more one-on-one person. Jesus didn't just say, hey, you sanguine you extroverts, I'd make you a fisher of people. And you more introverts, I'm sorry, it's not going to work for you. (laughs) You're not off the hook if you are quiet, if you're shy. I've known a lot of extroverts who go into a setting, and it's all about them, and they never think to fish. So we just got to say, whatever God's made me, I'm just going to let him use me. I'm just going to let him use me. Uh, real fast around your table, how can these three thoughts about remember, how can those help you live out the light? How those three, you, you never know and you put out the feelers and your job is to be faithful, how can that help you in your uh, being a fisher of men, of people? Three minutes around your table. Let me remind you of a really important truth that um, somebody just reminded me at the table that's just so important for me to put out here that I didn't say it well enough. When he says, I'll make you fishers of men, and when he says you're the light of the world, I don't think Jesus means that every time I am talking to somebody, I share the plan of salvation. If I'm walking in the grocery store... Uh, uh, Amber said, "When I'm when I'm with my kids, part of planting good seeds is being a kind and gracious mom. That's being the light. Part of being the light is being kind to your husband when you want to slap him. <laughs> being the light is not just verbalizing, but it's living. And so I just want to be really careful that I that I add that part that my light shines when I'm speaking sometimes, or when I'm not speaking sometimes more than when I'm speaking." Because I can say anything, but my life will show, is it going to be really true? So, Amber, thanks so much. That's just such an important thing. Um, you see, underneath that question, there's a quote by David Brainerd. It is one I think I used last spring in Heartstrings. It's, to me, it's kind of one of my defining quotes of my life now. David Brainerd was the famous missionary to the Native American Indians. He would pray for hours and hours and hours for the Native Americans for God to break in their lives, and God used him to, to just do amazing things. And he said this, God, use me in a way that is disproportionate to who I am. That's disproportionate to who I am. I'm only this. I'm nothing. I say this all the time. Lord, I'm just not good enough to do this. You use me in a way that's disproportionate to that. There's just so, so much God that people go, She just that. But look what God's doing. God, use me in a way that is disproportionate to who I am. You may say I'm too shy to do these things. I'm too awkward to do these things. I'm too whatever. God, use me in a way that's disproportionate to who I am. Um, last week, John really just helped me in a sermon. I was really struggling saying um, this next Friday, I'm gonna be speaking two sessions uh, at Girls Night Out and the needs there are so overwhelming. We're gonna speak about pain and the needs are so overwhelming. There's so much pain there, just unbelievable amounts of pain. And I was going I was spending a lot of time in prayer and saying, God, I just I just I, I don't think I can do this well enough. I don't think that I can speak well enough. I just can't, I can't, I can't. And John, and I was going, God, who am I? I'm going to be sharing some of my, out of my own pain. I was going, Lord, I don't, I, I don't think I can do this. And just really agonizing over it, not being enough. And John said Sunday in a sermon, he's talking about Moses, where Moses said, you know, um, when God says, I want you to go and lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses said, who am I? And God said, Moses was asking the wrong question. It's not who am I, it's who are you, God? And that's what God said. Uh, you forgot, you forgot. I'm the one that's going to do this. I am who I am. I am everything. I am everything. So it's not who am I God, it's who are you. And if I can say that every day of my life, then the Holy Spirit can use me in a way that's disproportionate to who I am. That's far greater than anything I could ever be or do. I just love this point. So when I think about how to live out Matthew twenty two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, I realize that the step to living out the greatest command is to just to care about people. To care about people. That's your blank right there. I just got to care about people more. I got to care less about Patty and more about people. I got to be more focused on people so that I can let my light shine. Well, we're only going to get probably to one more point, so I'm trying to decide which one I want to share with you. Okay, let's do the empty page. Um, look at Matthew 4.22 again. Matthew 4.22. Matthew 4.22. Let's start in verse... uh, I can't see that verse with this reading contact that I have. What's, What's that verse right before that where it says going up? See the paragraph 21? Oh yeah. Going up from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nests. And Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Him struck by the words, and immediately they left it all and followed. That compels me to examine my life because you know, for, for these fishermen, that boat represented everything, it represented their livelihood. It represented their comfort zone. It represented their security. It represented everything. That's who they were. They were fishermen. And when they had probably been watching Jesus for some time now. And so when he comes and approaches them today, it's not the first time that they have seen him. But he says, come follow me. And they just left it all. I wonder what Zebedee thought. They just left it all and followed him. To me, that's all about full surrender and it's probably a thing that I just talk to myself and I want to talk to people about all the time is this this understanding that God when he calls you to be his person he's calling you into a life of full surrender he's not calling you to say i'm going to be kind of a casual christian I'm going to make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth he's calling you to all out surrender to him and I think that's one of the things that he wants to say to you this morning are you really surrendered Are you really surrendered? Um, I think I shared this last May. So this will be a repeat for some of you, but probably you still can use it in your own life. I just felt like I needed to share it again today. Last, about February, when we began to realize that um, it was getting, uh, uh, early March, when we began to realize that we were going to start stepping away from heritage. Um, And I felt like God said, Patty, I want you to retire and then we found out about the sabbatical, so it was just a completely a god thing. And we realized that we were going to start stepping away from the church. I went through four days of deep, deep grieving, as just my—I just felt like I was going to die. Was, that's an exaggeration, but I was really, really deeply grieving. I took four days—took a Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday—to just get along with God and to ask Him to help me through this because the pain was so great, I didn't know what I was going to do because my boat was here. It's the only thing i would ever known since I was 21 years old. All of my security was found here at this church. All my greatest friendships were found here at this church. My sense of identity, my my sense of purpose was found here. i go away to speak at other places Other states, and I couldn't wait to get done with that so I could come back here. This was me. And I realized that I was not going to have this anymore. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Never, ever crossed our minds that there would be something else out there for us. And I remember getting along with God for those four days and journaling and journaling and journaling, crying out to God and searching His Word and saying, God, I don't know who I'm going to be. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know. I just don't know how to do this, God. and just crying out to him, sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. If you've ever gone through any greeting, you know what it's like. It's just gut-wrenching. And at one point on Saturday afternoon, sitting at my kitchen table doing all this, and I felt like God said, I had my journal there, and I felt like he said, rip out a page from your journal. I mean, this was just, you know, no audible voice at all, but I just was so... Like, so deeply connected to him that I just could really sense that he was speaking pretty clearly. I felt like he was saying, Take out an empty page and just hold it. I was just holding my empty page, looking at it. And I felt like he said, This is, this is your life. And that's how I like I was saying to him, This is my life, God. It's just empty. Once I retire from here, once we leave here, I don't, I don't think I have a life. And I, was, I was in bad shape, and it was just empty. And I felt like the Lord said, it's an empty page. I'm just asking you to give it to me. Every bit of it. Just give it to me. I was like, okay, God, I I can do that. All the questions, all the unanswered stuff, I'm just going to give it to you. And I just laid it down on that table, and I felt like he said, it's an empty page. You let me write on it. You let me write on it. And I'll write it good. I'll do a good job of this. And then woke up Sunday morning and the grieving was done. Completely gone. And I think I have a blank there. The joy has resulted. And then about three days later, we got the call from our denomination to consider coming to Battle Creek. And I can tell you, it was interesting to me, I never, I tell Battle Creek people this all the time, um, I never thought that I could love a place outside of heritage. I really didn't. I honestly, truly didn't. 41 years, I didn't think I could ever love any place. And the moment I stepped into First West, God gave us a clear, God-given love for that place. And I truly love them with all my heart. And joy has just abounded in my life, is in being there. I say all that to say this, full surrender, we get scared of it, it's the only way to live. It's just the only way to live. Because the joy that comes when you just are completely surrendered is so great, and the lack of having to worry about everything, that's just such a wonderful place to be. I have a quote that is, I've shared in Heartstrings, I've shared in church, it's just one of my all-time favorite quotes that... Um, Stays with me all the time. Oswald Chambers says, I have nothing to do with what will happen if I obey. I must abandon myself to God's call in unconditional surrender and smilingly wash my hands of the consequences. Who says, Okay, God, it's yours. This body is yours, this life is yours, this mind is yours, this everything. It's just yours. I think so often, I put this on your note guys right there, so often we worry about the future because we can't see it. But the key is to simply walk in the light as he is in the light and he'll guide us into the future. Step by step. Erwin McManus said it so well. He said, you do what you know to do. Oh, let's start all over. Do what you know you should do. And you'll know what to do. God clarifies in the midst of obedience, not beforehand. It's fair to say that God informs us on a need to know basis. Isn't that so true? So I think about me, I think about retirement. That's one of my big things right now. And I think, okay, here I am, here. Retirement is out there, and I don't know how to get there. I don't know what that's gonna look like. And it can it can just seize me up. Our kids, our grandkids really want us to live in California. We'd always planned on living a place where we could afford. And California is exorbitant. I mean, it's, take any price here and multiply it five times, and you've got about the price of a place out there. And I don't know how to do that. just don't know how to do it. And I can begin, when I, when I start talking about it, I can just start feeling, what are we going to do? Where are we going to live? We're going to be close enough. going we find a place? And just over and over. And then I go, I have nothing to do with what will happen if I obey. I must abandon myself to God's call. And just smiling and washing my hands of the consequences. And I do what I should do. And then I'll know what to do. God's going to clarify. He's not going to clarify two years from now. He's going to clarify today. And I'm going to walk today. And then He's going to clarify tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen between now and then. I just know Jesus. I just know Him. I just love Him. I just trust Him. I don't know what you're worried about today. In a group this size, there are tons of worries. Tons of concerns. Tons of heartaches. Tons of things that you don't know about. Just abandon. God, my life is yours. I don't want to be a nominal Christian. I just want to be an all-out person of God. I put right there on your notes, the step to living out the greatest commandment. Earlier I talked about it was uh, to love people, care for people. The step to living out the greatest commandment. Surrender the pages of your life to Jesus Just love him, all of you. Around your table, would you answer this question? What's something in the future that tends to cause you to worry? Cancer? Loneliness? Your children? Work? Money? What causes you to worry? How can giving that empty page to Jesus help you in that worry? How can living out the greatest commandment, help you in that worry? If you love Jesus with all your heart, how can that help you? So let's take about three minutes around your table and answer those. Even as I sit with you around your tables, I just, again, remember, realize, recognize, am aware of the fact that life is filled with problems. Oh my goodness, it's just amazing to me. You can't talk with people without knowing there's a lot of stuff going on in their lives. All the more reason to just trust Him on a minute-by-minute minute basis. You know, Jesus knew what He was talking about. And He said, "You don't worry about tomorrow because you can't do anything about it. Just be aware today that I'm enough for you, that I'm here. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and then everything else going to be given to you as well. And, which leads me to this last point that we're just going to take about like ten minutes on. The power of prayer... Um, I just did a sermon a week and a half ago at First West on prayer. So I'm just immersed in it. I'm just, I'm just immersed in this concept of how do I become a better prayer and how to help other people become better prayers. Um, round your table and take um, 15 seconds each. How would you describe your prayer life right now? 15 seconds each. Just real fast. How would you describe your prayer life? Good, bad, uh, bad, wonderful. Just like 15 seconds each. Go. Here's some of your answers. Uh, just shout something out. Somebody. There. Fair. And there. <laughs> I heard Something else I heard. Uh, mediocre. I heard me- mediocre. Give me a couple other words. What? Strong as ever. Needs improvement. How many would say needs improvement? Yeah, we all should say that because we always can. Unless we're Jesus, we can improve on that. Um, I'm not sure what to pull out of this uh, but I think maybe I'll just pull a couple of things. I really believe that God wants to call his church to prayer. And I really believe that he is, uh, that it's one of our only hopes today. That unless the church becomes a praying church, I don't, I worry about the church in general today. You see on your notes there, um, let me give you a pull out a couple, oh, right underneath, uh, oh, that first, the power prayer question and then the one concern. You see that? The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. I want to be a person. I just ask God to help me become a person who just causes Satan to tremble because of my prayer life. And I will tell you that every day that is a struggle. I was talking to a friend of mine, a new person at First West that was struggling with this. And I used this analogy for her. And uh, it's just become... It's changing your life. I've used it here before, so it's just a reminder for a lot of you. I talked about the fact that every single day I have to make a choice to carve that time out. And when I use the word carve, I'm literally thinking like of a knife. That if I, you know, when you have your turkey for Thanksgiving and you're just carving it, you're cutting into that, and it's, it's hard on that turkey. It is just hard to carve it out. But I'm just convinced that the greatest thing that I can do today is spend time in in prayer for me, for my church, for for others. I just desperately need to pray. And I just don't want to go through life becoming a prayerless Christian. I don't want to go through life just praying five minutes a day or shooting up prayers. I want to be a a person who really learns how to pray. And the trouble is, you only learn how to pray as you pray. It's not a... You know, you can't read a book and say, Now I know. Oh, great. You just agonize through prayer and you do it what you think is poorly at times, but you just need to pray. The one of uh, the things I taught this last week is what I've taught here a hundred times probably, is that prayer is about relationship. Prayer is about relationship. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Richard Foster says it wonderfully. Prayer is a love relationship. An enduring, continuing, growing love relationship with the great God of the universe. This overwhelming love invites a response. Real prayer does not come by gritting our teeth, but by falling in love. I believe that with all of my heart. That when I just come before him in prayer, it's just me and him sharing. I don't have to prove anything to him. I don't have to sound like you. I don't have to sound smart. It's just falling more in love with Jesus. Just loving on him and letting him love on me. It really is about relationship. But I wanted to draw out just for a second this thought that one of the most important things about prayer... It should include, periodically, at least weekly, probably more than that, times of confession and repentance. Repentance and confession. That's where, on your notes there, it says, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where you're living with deliberate sin. Then confessing it to him and repenting over it. It's telling him how sorry you are. It's the most, I believe, it's the most neglected part of prayer in people's lives. I don't think many Christians spend much time opening up before the Father and saying, would you reveal to me where I am not pleasing you, where I am living with deliberate sin, where uh, you want to change me, where you want to transform me. And I'm convinced, Chuck Swindoll taught this, or, um, Charles Coulson taught me this many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago, when he said, I believe that the church today would experience revival if Christians would spend more time in repentance and confession. I just really think it's true. I think the fact that the church today is living with so much hidden sin and deliberate sin and broken relationships and anger and bitterness and lying and swearing and just a multitude of things, and we're just living and saying, that's just the way I am, that if Christians who call themselves by the name of Christ would get to the place where we say, I am just repenting and confessing to God all the time and letting him clean my life up constantly, then we would have revival in the church today. Um, you can read Psalm 66, 18 there on your own. Um, let's see. Um, so we just need to spend time in confession and repentance. And then this part about intercession, you know that intercession is just where you f- pray for people. But I heard a quote lately, that a phrase lately that really just I love, I'm using it all the time, is uh, intercession is love on its knees for another. Isn't that great? Love on its knees for another and uh, Richard Foster says, if we genuinely love people, we desire for them far more than it's within our power to give, and that will cause us to pray. So I love my kids so much, and I cannot transform their lives, and so I intercede. I long to see my grandkids come to know Jesus as Savior. I can't do that on my own, so I intercede. I long to see my church be all that it can be. I can't do that on my own, so I intercede. Intercede, intercedes, love on its knees, crying out to the Father for him to do some miraculous things in his, in his church. I have that quote there by Sammy Tippett that I want to throw out to you. One of the things that I'm talking to First West about is the fact that they need to be interceders for their church. And they have not been, and hence a uh, church split. I want to call you at Heritage to become interceders for your church. Look at what Sammy Tippett says. The praying church, see that? The praying church is the church that will invade Satan's territory and return with the spoils of victory. It's the praying church that will win the world to Jesus. We need congregations who will make prayer a priority. And so a step to living out the greatest commandment is to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray. And I want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at in your prayer life for this church. I have found in talking to people all over the country that most people don't think about praying for the church. They just kind of think, well, it's, it's fine, it's good. That God desperately needs people who are crying out for their church. I just want to encourage you to be a person. Love on your knees for heritage. I'm assuming that for most of you, this is your church. I know that that's true. Intercede for your church. Spend time understanding that prayer is all about relationship. It's just me and God just loving on each other and talking together. Uh, Dom Chapman says, Pray as you can, not as you can. Doesn't matter how you pray, doesn't matter. You just don't have anything to prove to him. Pray as you can. Whoa. And I want to close this morning praying. For you. Interesting. But this would happen now. Testing. Testing. I think it's gone. So I want to pray for you. Because I'm always afraid I'm going to erase it. Yeah. Definitely.